Welcome to the Life Group Northwest Indiana podcast, where our desire is to share biblical truths from God's Word that will help us become more devoted followers of Jesus Christ. We're glad you're here. So we're going to continue our series, uh, our new series, on... um, the laws of study are the laws of hermeneutics. So unfortunately, like I said before, uh, Stephen is not here with us today, so you just have me. I apologize ahead of time. Uh, but um, I do think this, this particular study is something that we're familiar with. Uh, and I, this is something we do often in life group, but I think, uh, like everything else, when, when I was beginning my own personal study, it's hard to know where to start, right? Like even choosing a book, um, where do you go? How do you start a Bible study? Um, do you start with a topic? That's, that's fine. Like you're teaching on prayer this week. And so uh, where do you start on prayer? So typically what happens is we go to these general specific ones that we know about prayer. So we'll, we'll find, you know, the Lord's prayer maybe, uh, or, you know, maybe some of Paul's prayers in his letters, uh, different things like along that line, or maybe like Hannah, or we'll go to like some classic topical um, studies, which are good, um, but oftentimes we may miss certain things because we're kind of pulling it and moving it. And so where do you start? Uh, where do you go? What sources do you use? Those are all very confusing. And, and for me even, like, how, is there like a process, right? Are there steps? Are there things you can do to try to learn? And, and you don't have to do everything that we're discussing but I do think um, that uh, when you're trying to study, these laws are important, first of all. They are extremely important because we talked about a few weeks ago, though, <clears throat> that in many times we have been sitting somewhere and we know right in that moment that that speaker is almost admitting to us that they're not following specific laws. And at that point, you're like, okay, I don't, I don't appreciate that. Or I don't understand, you know, sometimes for me, it's like, and when I hear that, I'm a little disappointed. I'm like, well, you don't need to do that. (laughs) There's so much. The scripture is so rich with examples of what you're going to tell me right now. Why do you need to take this particular passage out of context? Or why do you need to take this particular word out and and define it differently than it's supposed to be? Um, Why are you using this little two-word phrase to build an entire sermon and then not never go back to the text again. You know what I mean? Like, well, why? There's so much in the scriptures, and we see this. And part of that is by going and digging deep. And I think so. Where do you start? This is supposed to help you with that. And so, uh, one thing I'd like to share with the group, and I haven't done that yet. I don't think. And shame on me for doing that. Is uh, Logos is a Bible program, and it is it's full. I mean, you got it for Christmas, right? It is just jam-packed full of stuff. And, and frankly, for me, I'm like, okay, some of this stuff is just way too much for me. Uh, but they do have like this study, uh, like how to build a sermon, and <clears throat> and this is this is how it, this is what's helped me. Oftentimes, I I did what I thought was a study, and then I went to talk to someone about it, and to actually talk through the actual thing that I was studying. And I as soon as they asked me a question, I'm like, you know, I don't know the answer to that. You know what I mean? I didn't I didn't know it like I thought I did, and so. What, what, a, what, what helps me is when I'm putting together a study, I try to then meditate on it to the point where if I were to teach this 
and they would ask me questions, how would I respond? And, <clears throat> and what I've learned at that point is now I'm learning the subject more to the point where I could teach it. And if someone were to ask me a question, you'd almost try to, uh, try to um, simulate what those questions might be when you're doing the study. So, so I'm taking a little bit of time to build that, but, but today's, today's law is on historical background. And something that, again, we've talked about very much. Um, but before we get into that, real quickly, I want to do a quick review. We've spent a lot of time in review the last couple of weeks, and I do, I'm doing it on purpose because this particular series is on how to study. So simply put, I would say this is like we're in school, right? If we can learn these rules and we can govern them. So again, I, w I mentioned in Logos, they have this pattern, and they have all these different things that you, sh you could ask and I use that every study of mine as a guide, at least for a few things. If I were to do every single thing, I don't know if I'd ever <laughs> finish the study. But I find it very helpful because it's provoking me to ask specific questions that I may forget. So guys, when you're reading a topic, you're reading something like this, and you have the laws of study like we're going through, sometimes we may forget the law of definition. And we may try to find a word. So what this is supposed to do is say, no, don't, don't forget about this. Don't forget about the law. Don't forget about usage. Don't forget that even though you may think this means something for you today, you actually need to go back to what it meant for them then. Don't forget about context. Don't forget that, you know, maybe this phrase may be uh, an idiom or a colloquialism or something along that line that we may not understand today, but we got to go back to them. Again, so again, number one, point number one we want to do is go back to their town, right? Grasping their town. Okay, then we need to realize there's a river between us and them. It's not just this type of thing where we can just kind of easily tread through there. Sometimes it's very deep waters, very deep. And sometimes it's very shallow waters we can walk through. It's very easy to, to make an application, but we have to try to measure what those are. And then there's the bridge, and we've got to be able to cross that bridge and, and measure the differences. And then at that point, finally, we can apply it to our own town. And so I love the visual, love the illustration. We've gone through that. And I hope you grasp that again, because there's all these steps before we get to that last one. And so I'm just reading this statement again, because I feel like this is so important. Uh, honest interpretation is to grasp the meaning of the text God has intended. So if you're going to, if you guys, so this week, Lois, when she's teaching, her most important thing is what did God intend when he was inspiring these writers to write this. When the Bible talks about prayer, what is God intending here? That is should be always first and foremost. Like, what is the writer trying to accomplish here? What is he saying? And, and today we'll get into a little bit about that, how that works with historical background. Uh, but what is the meaning God intended? We do not create meaning out of a text. And this is, this is what happens. We, we read something and we're like, oh, that's good. I wonder if... And then if, we not, if we're not careful, we may just take that and run with it and not verify that. You follow me? That, that's where it becomes dangerous. So then we, we go there, we study it. Sometimes we'll go and say, oh, it's true what I thought. Oh, I'm in line with the, what the writer's intended. And sometimes we find out I am no way near <laughs> where the writer's intended. Uh, and so uh, we need to seek the meaning that's already there. That's our intent, okay? Uh, and so, again, first week, definition, Words mean something. Week two, usage. We'd already mentioned it before, but usage is we need to not put the meaning for us today. We need to go back and find out what it meant to them and then make an application. And then last week we talked about context. We talked about that. Now, can you guys, can you guys define words? 
If you guys were to start your own study, do you think you'd have you can stop and not define it yourself, but study and define and, and find out what the word means? You think you guys can do that? Okay. What about usage? Can you can you try to not incorporate your own meaning and try to go back and try to understand what it might have meant for them? Can you guys do that? Okay. Can you guys pay attention to context? Can you guys not hear one read one sentence and say, "Oh, that's what I need for today." And take that and run with it or can you find out okay is that what the writer meant or is there more going on here can, can you guys do that can you guys pay attention to context okay it takes discipline to do this it takes discipline and patience so in the end like i've always said before you need to when it comes to bible study bible study is not in a rush you're not in a hurry no matter what anyone tells you you need to slow down calm down and be patient okay and so today we were jumping in. We're going to jump in the law of study. Now, I'm taking this right off the internet, okay? Uh, so, we'll see. Uh, but historical background meaning. The interpreter must have some awareness of the life and society of the times in which the scripture was written. I'll read that line again. The interpreter must have some awareness of the life and society of the times in which the scripture was written. The scriptural principle will be timeless, but often can't be properly appreciated without some knowledge of the background. If the interpreter can have in his mind what the writer had in his mind when he wrote it, without adding any excess baggage from the interpreter's own culture or society, then the true thought of the scripture can be captured, resulting in an accurate interpretation. Now, does that all make sense, by the way? Yeah, okay. Now, what you're finding is these laws are intertwined. You're doing them all at the same time. If you're, it, it's never wise to try to do definition and then see what the rest of the passage means now because of the definition. It's, you want to try to incorporate all these together at the same time. And then, uh, and, and just, just like this, so sometimes what we may do is we may uh, define a word but not pay attention to context. So when you're reading, you're kind of going in and out, in and out, micro than macro. You guys follow me? Uh, as you're trying to incorporate, because you don't want to forget about the context. So it's, it's almost like you have a verse, you have a chapter, you have a book, you have a testament or a covenant, you have the whole Bible. So you have all these different ways you could view it, and they all, are, they're unified, and we have to find out how. Uh, and so, so um, this is where like archaeological finds can be helpful. When we're talking about historical uh, background, archaeological finds are so helpful when they find things that can give us locations where uh, 100 years ago, there were people who would doubt the scriptures because, oh, because that location, that's never been found. And they found it. It's really, it's really awesome. They found things. They're like, like money, uh, coins. Uh, we talked about a few weeks ago, when, when uh, a few months ago now, when talking about uh, when Jesus said, whose image and superscription is on that? And it was Caesar's. And, and we know that they shouldn't have an image, right? And then on the other side, it said, talking about how Caesar was God. Well, we know that that's wrong, Right? That Caesar's not God. And, and so the, the idea there is just from a coin, from understanding what would have been on that coin, gave us a little bit of context and, and uh, historical background for that passage. So we also can find customs. Customs are very helpful uh, with like a wedding ceremony or with how they would uh, do the Sabbath or uh, things along that line. You know, these types of customs are very helpful, even how they dress, very helpful. Um, and even extra biblical writings. Those are all things like Josephus that can inform us about what life was like at the time of these writings. 
both for the author and the, the audience that it was intended for. So now this is, I'll tell you, this is one of my favorite things. Uh, I think Stephen mentioned that too. Finding the culture and getting the historical background, it's fun. It's like you're kind of like your own little private detective. Like you're, you're a PI and you're trying to, to, to dig into the story. And when you kind of get that nugget, it's so fun. It's really enjoyable and it's rich when you can kind of get, oh, it starts to open up for you. Um, now, there are some, there's some cons to that or some negatives, some, some roadblocks that can come from that. But, uh, but first of all, I brought a couple sources that I've, I use. Um, I don't use these all the time, but I do use them when needed. So this one, top one right here, is uh, volume one of the works of Josephus. So this particular set has four volumes. And so he was a first century uh, uh, historian who wrote about the times of Israel. And so this is, you know, he's writing at that time. So we get a lot of history from Josephus about the times in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. 400 years. We get to learn a lot about what happened in history during that time. He references Jesus in his articles. Now, he's a Jew. He's not, he's not a Christian. So when he's talking about Jesus, we get to learn things. He's writing about the early church and James and how he was killed and things like that. So we get to learn a lot from somebody who's not... It, this is not a biblical source. He's not a Christian as far as we know. He, he was a Jewish man. He was actually a Pharisee. And so it's really interesting. So the works of Josephus, uh, a well-known and well-used, if you do any kind of study, he, he's going to be referenced quite a bit. Uh, manners and customs. Um, this one's very helpful. Um, it gives you a lot of information. Uh, one thing that, that was helpful for me uh, when I was reading this book was when it talks about us, uh, that Jesus says, you know, take my yoke upon you. And every time I had heard someone speak on that, we, it was the concept of like oxen and it's two, right? So you're, we're kind of, we're kind of in, in the yoke with Jesus. But in, in, in this book, they talks about the idea there was another yoke and Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Your, my burden is light. And it's the idea of where they, the individual had their own yoke. It was one yoke where they would like maybe carry water and it would be balanced. So they put it on their shoulders and they would carry it themselves. And so uh, quite often, like it's not necessarily Jesus is in yoke with you, but he's there and, he, and it's his. Uh, that's where it says his burden is light upon us. And so something like that where it's like, oh, okay, well, that, that makes a little bit of sense there. And there's more study that wouldn't be involved in that, but the concept was there. And so like a custom like that can be very helpful and it gets into food, uh, preparation, clothing, all those different things. It's huge. And again, they're referencing sources or they're referencing archaeological findings, different types of things that you could be very, that could be very helpful. I recommend a book like this, if not this same book, Manners and Customs. Uh, you have like a Bible dictionary. This one's my father-in-law recommended to me. Um, some people really like specific ones, um, but they just give you information uh, and help. I, I recommend that. Uh, this guy, Eusebius, um, is he's writing on the uh, he's an, uh, a Christian author from you know the third or fourth century, I believe, writing on early church history, and so you can find out you know, what the early church believed. And so one of the questions that we're going to talk about eventually is what the, the first century church thought about the scriptures. What did they think about was what books of the Bible were canon? 
uh, and things like that. And so you'll get to you know read stuff like that. And then another one that I, that I recommend is just getting some sort of maps, some good maps. Like so, I, I picked up some I, some books that were maps. And I'm like, there's like five of them in there. I'm like, that's not helpful at all. There's no. But so like, there's specific books I like that have tons of maps for different time periods that may update. Uh, you know, based upon uh, different kingdoms, and so uh, and so, those are these are just some sources that can be used that can help you. Now, I've found that commentaries they source these as well, uh, and so um, I do recommend, but you do that. But th- if you're trying to say, well, Jared, how do I find out about historical background? This is one way to do it. You get sources like this. Okay, uh, and so um, I'm going to jump into a few things here. Uh, I'm not going to get too deep. Um, but I'm going to give you some illustrations of passages that I've studied, some of them we've studied together, that were deeply affected, if not, not like directly affected by historical background. And so uh, one of them uh, that I've mentioned many times, that I won't go into detail, but is the temple tax. We talked about that in week one about definition, how that word, that word uh, tax there that was used was, um, or tribute, was specifically for the temple, right? You guys remember we, us talking about that? Well, that changed the whole meaning. That, that background information that came from that changed the whole meaning of that whole passage. Um, another one, if you guys remember, how many of you guys remember the study on the, the, when Jesus cursed the fig tree? Do you guys remember that one? Uh, that one was really helpful. Uh, I, I've never seen a fig tree before. <laughs> I don't know anything about them. And for Jesus to see that the tree had leaves and to, for him to curse a tree that had leaves because it didn't have fruit, you know, it's almost like, well, God's destroying this tree for what, it's not the tree's fault, right? Uh, but he knew what season it was. And sometimes we, because we don't know the story, we're almost judging Jesus. <laughs> but we know that Jesus grew up in Israel. He knew about fig trees. And he would know that when he, because he thought when he saw a tree that had leaves, that hit, what, was, what did he say? You guys remember? Why do you go to the tree? He thought there would be some sort of, for, uh, some, some sort of fig. Well, so no, you're right. No, she's right. So, but, they, but the writer, so it's interesting. The writer said that it wasn't in season for figs, right? So we're like, okay, so is Jesus not, is he, is he just not smart? Because he, got, he's got leaves, but it doesn't have fruit. It's not the season for fruit. So why would Jesus be surprised? Well, because we saw that one of the evidences of the season was like she said the knops or the like the berries that would be on the tree that aren't really like tasty but they are they can they, they're like sustenance you can eat from it and so when he went there and saw that it was in full bloom of leaves but did not have those berries those knops he knew that within the tree there was something wrong internally that it was it appeared to be to be a, 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 a tree in health, but actually it was inside, it was, it was being a, a torn apart. Another passage, one that I feel like is right on this uh, line of thinking is in Luke 19. Take your Bibles, Luke 19. You're actually going to use your Bibles for this one. Some of you may remember, I, don't, I didn't go back and look at attendance from when we did this one, <laughs> uh, but uh, um, this is one some of you may remember. Luke 19, and can I have a lady read verses 11 through 27? It's quite a bit, but they're quick. Who can read it? Ashley? And after he heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem, and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. 
He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him, to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. And he said unto them, Well done, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little, have thou authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said likewise to him, Be thou also over five cities. And another came, saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have cast laid up in a napkin. For I fear thee, because thou art an austere man, thou takest up that thou layest not down, and reapest that thou didst not sow. And he saith unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, taking up that I had laid not down, and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore then gavest thou that my money into the bank, that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury. And he said unto them that stood by, Take from him the pound, and give it to him that hath ten pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. For I say unto you, that unto every one which hath shall be given, and from him that hath not, even that he hath shall be taken away from him. But those mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. Now, if you remember, this parable is very similar to the parable of the talents. Okay, so this this is the parable of the minus of the minus, so that's the money amount that these men were given. Uh, so uh, one parable, there's the the money amount is like a minus, and one parable the amount is a talent. Okay, and so uh, the parable of talents, they're given five, three, and one. Okay, is five, two, and one? I forget. Three, one. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, I forget. I should know that, but anyway. Uh, and right away, a lot of people think that this is the same story, same story, or has the same interpretation. Okay. And, and so, because they sound very much the same. Um, and so, uh, uh, and remember, if the story about the, the, the talents, you know, they each of them doubled them. The first two guys, they doubled their talents. And then the, the other guy, he hid it in the earth. Well, in this case, the guy hid it in a napkin. It's a very similar story, right? So, in that case, we would interpret it the same way, right? Right? I mean, okay. Uh, I mean... I could, I've totally been there uh, and, um, and thought the same thing. Now, do you guys remember what was different about this parable? Do you remember where it was told? It's okay if you don't. It's okay. Do you remember where Jesus was? Yes, yeah, so, okay, so he's near Zacchaeus. Okay, that's good. So we're paying attention to context there. Oh, this is the story of Zacchaeus. Okay, following the trail. Okay. Where, where, do you guys remember? It was at dinner with Zacchaeus. So, well, he was in... A specific town, and that's where I'll give you. I'll help you. It was in Jericho. There you go. Okay. Now, again, this this story is so good for what we're talking about because the location mattered. So Jesus is telling the story. If you remember, uh, Jesus said specifically there was a man who was in search for a kingdom, and he left, went away to go get his kingdom from somebody else. Okay. And that, in this case, in the story, that there was a delegation in the parable that went to the same place this guy went to get his kingdom and said, we don't want this guy to be our king. And so, in Jericho, uh, Herod um, Archelaus, which was Herod the Great's son, so Herod the Great 
uh, had, uh, when he died, he had four sons that their kingdom was divided into four different kingdoms. So the land was divided, and this was one of them. And Archelaus, so Archelaus built a palace in Jericho. So as, so as Jesus is telling this parable, the people in Jericho, they knew without Jesus saying Archelaus, this is exactly what happened. The Jews despised Archelaus for many reasons we're not going to go into. He deserved their hatred in many ways. But the Jews actually sent a delegation to Rome when Archelaus went to Rome. Archelaus went to Rome to be a king. And the Jews said, we don't want this guy to be our king. And Julius Caesar, or excuse me, Caesar did not make him king. He made them, uh, he made him a, uh, some other title. Um, and, uh, but he wasn't officially a king, but he still ruled the area. So when he told this parable with that information, the people in Jericho would understand exactly what all that meant. And so uh, without getting into, getting into the actual application, the, the information there, the, the, the historical background of where he told the story, the fact that the palace is probably standing well above, that picture I shared today, by the way, in, in um, the Life Group app, is actually part of Archelaus's palace. That's where uh, archaeological findings can help. And so that was his part of the palace that he built um, there in Jericho. And so just that information now completely helps us form the idea of what it would have would have meant for the original audience. That's where the interpretation helps and changes, and that's where, depending on the audience and who Jesus was speaking to. So here's, here's something really interesting. Because, that mean, because there now is a difference between the minus parable and the talent parable, it, it informs us that Jesus had the ability to change up his stories based upon the people he was talking to. He didn't have to say the same parable over and over. And he wasn't like an evangelist who had one sermon. <laughs> okay, he, did, he didn't have one sermon and he preached everywhere he went. Okay, He had the ability to pay attention to the people he was speaking to and frame that parable based upon their understanding. So he, he gave a very similar uh, parable, yet it had a totally different meaning because of where he was located. And so that helps us. Um, and now, does, does that help us when we interpret? So here's the thing. One of the things that really happens is, and we'll talk about this, is that there is precedent. One of the laws is precedent. We'll talk about that in a few weeks, the law of precedent. Here's the issue, though. Some people take the law of precedent all the way to where when Jesus says this means this, it always means that, no matter what. It doesn't allow Jesus the opportunity to change. So we see just from this parable that Jesus did have the freedom to adjust his parables based upon who was there. And so we need to be very careful not to just say carte blanche, this always means this. Now, sometimes it does, but that's why we follow these laws and we make sure that we're being honest and we're not rushing to judgment. Does that make sense? It's awesome, right? It's great, it, it, but it makes us have to calm down, okay? It shows us that we cannot assign meaning across the board without context. And, and again, this shows us the unity of these laws and why they're so important. So here's another one that's really interesting to me. So, uh, what do you guys know about the city of Corinth? Anybody know anything about it? If, if I were to say, what do, you, what, what do you know about the city? Not the church, but the city. What do you know about the city of Corinth? Anybody have an idea, a, an understanding of the city? I thought I was under the impression it was like a really wicked place uh -huh. because the church was so wicked. But and, and wicked in what way? I just say like, oh, like sinful, almost like a Solomon and type. Okay, of good. Okay, good. Okay, Ashley? One of the ones that um, they were getting caught up in 
all the different like they were the Jews were trying to get them to force them to make uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. follow the Jewish law even though they were Christians. Mm-hmm. Good question. You're getting into the church. Uh, uh, no, um, so I, ha- I I remember vaguely being taught that the church was a very sinful, like you said, Gabe, uh, particularly when it comes to what we would say like debauchery or licentiousness, right? Like like uh, sexual sins. Okay, um, and I and I wouldn't before studying the book, I wouldn't know any differently. If someone told me that, you know, you know what I'm saying? That's why who you listen to does matter. Um, and that's why it always helps to confirm something when you're, when you're being t- told something. It's not like you're being disrespectful. Some people are disrespectful when they say, that. oh, I'm not listening to you because I need to confirm it. No, calm down. Okay. If you believe someone, if you believe like, like a good commentator will lay out a very good uh, truth or, or a plan on how he got to where he he got. And so, um, but, I, but I wasn't totally differently. I had no reason not to believe someone who said that. So just, it was really interesting. I'll get to it really quickly. The, the city of Corinth was known for its temples to the goddess Aphrodite. Now, if we know anything about Aphrodite, she's a Greek goddess of stuff. Okay. Uh, and in the temple they had, it's in, in historical writings, which you can access, it had uh, it's known to have well over a hundred prostitutes for their for their gods. Okay, so we could say, oh wow, this city was a mess, right? But interestingly, a uh, hundred and sixty-five, I think, or BC or one hundred forty-five BC, Rome came in and completely leveled the city. It became a wasteland. No, it was like no, like you might have a few vagabonds living in there, but it was not. It was not used at all. For a hundred years, it sat that way until Julius Caesar came in, rebuilt the city. And what happened was there were, there were no indigenous Corinthians from the old Corinth. So you had all these transplants coming in. It was kind of like a melting pot, like America, where you had all these different people coming from other countries. And so you had a lot of different religious systems coming in, and there, but there weren't a lot of native Cor- Corinthians. And so while there certainly was sin, and there certainly was, just like any other one of those days, it would not have been overtly sinful like the old Corinth would have been. But here's where it matters. If I interpret the city to be the old Corinth, I may take a lot of the interpretation well, because of their debauchery, because of whatever, but I'm, right, I'm, I'm putting in information that's not accurate. Historical background. That's where that would help me. So, so, and in fact, I would even say I haven't gotten here yet to this point. I'm in the study. But when Peter, excuse me, when Paul was writing this letter and he said, hey, you guys have someone in your church who is having a relationship, an affair with his mother-in-law. You know, we would actually think from the previous, oh, that's old Corinth. That's what the city's like. But we would actually, we could actually say, well, no, I think even the people in the new Corinth would be offended by that. Does that make sense? Because we're already incorporating stuff based upon what we think we might know and not by historical background. You see how that can help you. when it comes, And that's how, we, that's how our minds work. Our worldviews are that way. It's based upon what we know. And so we have to change that constantly. Um, and so there, there was a few other ones um, that we talked about. One I talked about was um, that really helped me was uh, with Caiaphas. Uh, when Jesus came in and turned over the money changers, um, we know that Caiaphas 
We learned, according to historical information, that for a long time, people would come from out of town. They come, they buy their animals for sacrifice for the Passover. Uh, they wouldn't carry their animal with them. Uh, they wouldn't take them with them. They'd buy it there. And for a long time, they'd go to the local market. And they would, uh, good morning, they go to the local market. And they would, uh, they would buy their animal there for the sacrifice. Okay? But we, it's, so, it's so helpful. At this time in history, something changed. And historical writers say that at that time in history, all of a sudden, Caiaphas, or the high priest, they took over the market. They would not accept anything outside from the local markets for sacrifice. If they, someone brought their animal from outside, they would reject it. So you had to purchase the animal from them. And that's why there were all those animals in the court. And this court was the court of the Gentiles. This is the place where they would come. And he said, my house shall be a prayer for all nations. This is their one place for them to come and pray. And they couldn't because of the animals and the money changers, the noise. And so Jesus got angry and kicked them all out. That's historical background. Isn't that helpful when we're trying to find all that out? Um, so here we go. Um, this is the negative. And I really want to touch on this. I know it's late, but I, whatever. <laughs> historical background. This is where it can be a negative. Okay, so I was doing a study with some gentlemen on the book of Philippians one time, uh, and we were doing like a Zoom, this is during COVID, we were doing a Zoom call, and, uh, and one of the guys mentioned that, because uh, Paul was writing this while he was in jail, okay, he was writing this while, and this is good, so don't miss this, he was writing this while he was in jail, while he was in jail, writing to this church saying, I wish I could be there, I can't, but hey, God's being glorified, Jesus is being preached, it's awesome. One of the gentlemen read in a commentary that it's, possible that Peter could have been chained to a jailer, which we know has happened. Once that gentleman brought that evidence to light, the rest of the call, everything was flavored with that. The perspective was, oh, I wonder what that would have been like with the jailer next to him. It was like every interpretation now had this guy sitting next to him chained. You guys follow me? Here's where it gets important. Historical background is important to a certain point, but it cannot be magnified over the text. You see that? The text is the most important thing. Historical background helps you to a certain point, but it cannot be above what the text says because that's what's in the scripture. That's the most important thing. And so you have to be patient and not allow that. You can use that as a reference point. It can be a perspective, but you have to say that. You can say, you know, it's possible this could have happened. It's interesting, and you can even come to an application if so. But you have to also say, well, we don't know that. Does that make sense? That's where historical background can be a negative if we're not careful. We don't want to miss the most important thing, which is the text itself. Okay, so here, I'll read it. Definition, words mean something, usage, don't incorporate our meaning today into their meaning then. Uh, context, what happens around it matters. And in here, historical background, uh, we need to get to know what was going on in life and times of these authors and the audience so that we can well understand what, how they would have understood when he was writing it, when they heard it, and then it helps us as we try to cross the principalizing bridge and into our own town. Thoughts, questions, observations today? I like that last point you said right about where, where it can be a negative because just like watching like once in a while I remember like especially as a teenager when I was sitting on the couch not doing a lot and I like National Geographic would have some kind of Bible study on David or on mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and I'd watch it and everything that we would take as an act of God yeah. they would really try to explain away in some context right? that's I remember great they're like oh there's this place hell 
there's actually like a landfill outside of Jerusalem. Yeah, yeah. And so that's what they were actually talking about. Uh-huh. It was yeah. not a real place with fire. Mm-hmm. And, and there was, and like, you know, David was a traitor because he went with the Philistines mm-hmm. and his mm-hmm. taking over Israel was, you know, obviously mm-hmm. they would never work with the enemy. So the fact that he ever worked with the Philistines meant that he was an invader. Mm-hmm. So it was like using the historical not not with the context, but what was commonly known mm-hmm. to explain away the scripture. Yeah. So there was definitely a negative. And that I, obviously they thought they were being extremely intellectual. Oh, yeah. They were really just That's good. Um, discrediting the validity of the Bible yeah. based off what they think they know about that yeah. time. The world's wisdom. That's really good. Mm-hmm. That's really good. Uh, uh, Malcolm Gladwell, he has a book called uh, David and Goliath. And he talks about that where more or less Goliath was a special needs guy. He was he was special needs and very slow, uh, and that a slinger was like a art 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 sniper today, and so more or less any anybody could have done that. It's like okay, pay no pay no mind that everyone was horrified by this guy, and nobody even came close. Uh, it took a an experienced seventeen year old, hence God working. You're, you're right. I, I was watching a documentary on Disney about the Red Sea crossing. And basically what they said was, around this time in another location, another geographic location, there's, there was a storm that came. Because they said the water was shallow. It was easy to cross. But there was a storm that came, that came all the way from this other place around the same time. And that's how it explained the party of the waters and all that stuff. Well, it was actually just a giant storm that came. And, and, and so they're trying to explain it away. Here was my thought. I'm like, okay. You're trying to explain away God by saying that there was a giant storm that came at the exact time the Israelites were at the Red Sea. <laughs> Seems pretty miraculous to me, buddy. <laughs> and they could explain like, yeah. how the Pharaoh and his army would destroy it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's easier to say it's all a lie. Yeah, you're right. Exactly, right. Like, right. Why try to, like, exactly. try to, it's less intellectual to try to yes. get that argument. Exactly, exactly. And so, uh, so that's where you know, we can have, uh, we can trust uh, the word of God. Um, and we're finding it to be more and more trustworthy as as um, archaeological finds and things like that come available. So the gr- great perspective, Gabe. That's really good. Anybody else have some thoughts, Chad? Yeah, just to add to that, but maybe a little more personally, um, just to add, just where you're saying maybe he was a change to a jailer, and then that just flavors everything else that you do. That I feel that inside myself, as soon as we learn something new or whatever, then it's just the only thing that I do, and to get pulled away from the main thing, which is which is reading the text. And so maybe not quite as dramatic as that, but just a little more like keeping the focus in the right place. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, no, it's really good. It it's all getting us where we need to go, and it's very helpful. But we really can fall in love with that because we there's part of us that really likes being the one that knew that. Oh, look what I learned. Oh, you're wrong because of this. Well, are you you know does it really change in the actual meaning of the text? Yeah. Thank you for joining us today. We pray the Holy Ghost showed you how Christ is supreme. Do you know Jesus Christ? Have you been born again by God's grace through faith alone? If you have questions concerning eternal life through Jesus Christ, please visit lifegroupnwi.com or email us at connect at lifegroupnwi.com.